From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner, your host of this webinar tonight. We call this a self-awareness and leadership teleseminar or webinar, and we're real happy that you've chosen to be with us for, gosh, what is this? I think this is our fourth of this series, Time Flies. We want to wish you all, by the way, Greetings of the season, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, well, what else have we got, Solstice, of course, which is coming up this week, just a few days, and uh, Happy New Year, and Kwanzaa, and any other uh, holidays that you happen to be celebrating. You know what all these holidays have in common, really, is Solstice, uh, symbolically, even the birth of Christ is about a new light, or the end of the darkness, or rebirth, uh, new opportunities. And uh, I think Christ was actually born in April or May, but they shuffled things around, you know, to co-op the old pagan holidays. So Easter, which is celebrated near the vernal equinox, what do bunny rabbits and eggs have to do with the Christian celebration of the resurrection. So Christmas is more than the birth of the Christ child. It's the birth of light. It's the shortest day of the year in the beginning of the solar return. And uh, so whatever holiday you're celebrating, I hope you're on board with the idea that we're just a few days away from turning the corner. Those of us in the Northern hemisphere anyway, days are gonna get longer and uh, weather's going to get warmer. And as we move into a brand new year, 2017, hopefully our feelings about the last year and the presidential election and the political climate, particularly in the United States, though people all over the world are interested, hopefully the dust will settle a little bit. We'll get our feet underneath us and uh, feel a little better about it all, a little rejuvenated. What we hope to do here in this webinar is provide what I've described as non-political, emotionally intelligent responses to having to live in this stress and anxiety where this country is so remarkably divided. So many people voted for Trump in spite of his antisocial behavior, his narcissism and his bigotry. And now they have to deal with what they've done. And many of them are in denial. Many of them are hostile. Some are pretending, what election? I didn't vote for Donald Trump. And those of us who are really anxious and stressed by this division, this uh, seeming celebration of, big, uh, of bigotry and, and the resurgence of hate crime in America, 
we have to decide how we're going to respond without limiting ourselves to political diatribe, arguments, the lingering hostility that comes out of all of that. And and yet we have to deal with people in our families in many cases, our former friends, maybe people who still somehow are our friends, and neighbors and other people who will continue to see all of this as political. And it's really not political. It's much more cultural. And so that's what we're here to offer you on a weekly basis is non-political, emotionally intelligent ways of dealing with all of this. How do you talk to these people in your family, your, your friends and neighbors? How can you assert yourself and express how you feel, which is healthy? If you don't express your emotional feelings, your concern, your anxiety and stress, it ends up being repressed and comes out in a variety of other ways from insomnia to eating disorders to illness and disease. And so we really, in order to remain healthy and grow, have to express ourselves. And you can't do that in isolation. You need to speak truth to power. So what I'd like to do in response to a lot of demand for this is on a weekly basis engender some discussion, provide some instruction and guidance, but also with the opportunity we have here for feedback, text on the web, voice. Those of you who are using telephone or web call can actually signal by pressing star two your willingness to participate. I can unmute you one at a time and we'll generate some discussion here about how to best deal with this need to express our frustration or our overall angst and anxiety to people who may not want to hear it and at the same time avoid the argument and the political diatribe. I think we can do that. I know we can do that. You know, for several years, I trained at the Orange County Sheriff's Academy. I trained police and sheriff's deputies in self-awareness. And one of the things that we taught was de-escalation. A lot of deputies resist that. They don't really want the skill. They don't want to be more self-aware. But most, in fact, were open to it. And it's in everybody's interest to de-escalate a situation that could become really dangerous and facilitate cooperation. If police can learn to do that, deputies and troopers and others, in that kind of a law enforcement situation, then certainly we can do it over the dinner table with our families and and sitting uh, over coffee with our friends. De-escalation might be a good way of looking at it. And that's an emotional intelligence skill. That's all about self-awareness and leadership. So that's what we're about tonight. Before we get started, and I do have some audio clips for you tonight. I have a full agenda in this next hour. But 
right at the top of the program because many of you are in the Southern California area and know me from many years in radio doing talk shows and news. You may wish to know that a colleague of mine for many, many years passed over today after an extended uh, illness, and uh, that's Bob Coburn, B.C., as he was known. Uh, nationally, he was the host of Rockline. Locally, I worked with him on the ABC-owned and operated radio station KLOS-FM. He's a good guy, great guy. It was a pleasure to know him and work with him for so many years. And I just want to publicly express my condolences, my sympathies to his family and to other friends who are suffering that loss. And we're going to miss you, Bob. And uh, thanks for all the rock and roll. So with that, I also want to say that I've got some, well, I guess old business to begin with. We talked last week about lies, about fake news, about a phenomenon called truthiness, which for those of you who are not yet familiar with the word, truthiness is believing something is true because you think it ought to be. It's a kind of a denial, actually. It's really a form of denial, but it takes the form, takes shape as, well, I know it's true because I think it ought to be true. And we talked about this last week, the kind of 180, the flip that so many people do where they use their thoughts to understand themselves which is not what your thoughts are for. You're not what you think of yourself. That's just going to result in a lot of self-criticism and internal dialogue about how inadequate we are. Don't use your thoughts to understand yourself. Use your feelings to know yourself. Use thoughts to understand other people in the world around you. Feelings, on the other hand, emotions are a response. They're a reflection of who you are. And while other people and external events may stimulate your emotions, they're your emotions. They reveal you. And when you attempt to understand other people with your feelings, well, he made me angry or she made me jealous, so I'm going to obsess on them. Well, that's backward also. That doesn't work. So doesn't make sense to use your thoughts to understand yourself or your feelings to understand other people. Not essentially. Turn it around. Think about the world around you, but take ownership of your emotional feelings. They're yours. Truthiness is one way of understanding what happens and the untruth, the falseness, that uh, comes from attempting to use your feelings to understand the person that made you feel that way or the group or the circumstance that's stimulating the feeling. I put together for you five brief sound bites from Donald Trump that 
I think, expose a lot of what we discussed last week, the idea that it's not a matter of discerning which things Trump says are not true. You know that what he's saying is not true anytime he speaks, every time he speaks. You know, the saying is, you know, Trump's lying when his lips are moving. And yet every once in a while, a little bit of truth slips out. Now, on the Daily Show this past week, the host, Trevor Noah, called this truth Trump. I call it phony Trump because it reveals, I mean, he reveals himself. He, in these short sound bites, you'll get some insight into just what a bag of wind he is and how full of BS he actually is. And he admits it in this. So these five sound bites are going to come pretty quickly. I think they're all about a week to two weeks old. They're part of the so-called thank you tour where the campaign continues. But these are so exceptional and so rare that it offers insight, I think, into why so many of his supporters are confused. And by supporters, I mean people who voted for him even though they deny it, people who voted for him even though they say it was a vote against Hillary and they didn't really like him. They voted for him. And so let's listen to this. It comes pretty quickly, so I want you to listen carefully. Okay, five little bits, and I put a little sound effect in the middle to separate them, so there are five different events. But here you go. This is uh, Truth Trump. Speaker Paul Rye. Where's Speaker? Where is he? He has been, I'll tell you, he has been terrific. And you know, honestly, he's like a fine wine. Every day goes by, I get to appreciate his genius more and more. Now, if he ever goes against me, I'm not going to say that, okay? You've been hearing me say it's a rigged system, but now I don't say it anymore because I won. Okay? So, you know, now I don't care. I don't care. Because I heard my opponent had scheduled Michigan unexpectedly. It was like all of a sudden with President Obama and Michelle and Bill and Hillary, and they were going to Michigan. Now, talk to Now, they got it. That plays great before the election. Now, we don't care, right? We're going to drain the swamp of corruption. Funny how that term caught on, isn't it? I, told, I tell everyone, I hated it. Somebody said, drain the swamp. I said, oh, that's so hokey. That is so terrible. I said, all right, I'll try it. So like a month ago, I said, drain the swamp. Place went crazy. I said, whoa, watch this. Then I said it again. Then I started saying it like I meant it, right? And then I said it, I started loving it. And the place loved it. It's drain the swamp. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's true. Drain the swamp. We want to fix up our infrastructure, big league. That includes, and who's better at that stuff than me? Believe me. Hey, I don't need your vote anymore, but I'm telling you, I'm very good at that. Good, I don't need your vote. Can you imagine that? 
four years, I'll need you about. So he knows he's full of it. He, he knows he's a con man. This is, it's not a matter of Trump being stupid. He even uses the word played. I played you this act, this lock her up thing. Well, that played really well, right? And then during the swamp, he said, you know, I finally got to a point where I said it like I meant it. <laughs> it was almost like I really meant what I was talking about. So this is what we're up against. This is what we're facing. And yet, you know, the majority of the people sitting in the halls listening to him are clapping and cheering and wait a minute. Well, did he say, did he say it was playing us? Did he say that, I mean, maybe those lefties, those Democrats, those liberals, those decent people that don't have politics, they're just offended by Trump's behavior and his indecency. Maybe they were right. Maybe we've been played. Maybe we've been conned. Remember when Trump was making a big deal about Hillary Clinton speaking for Goldman Sachs? Uh, actually, that's a concern I have also. But uh, it wasn't enough to make me vote for Donald Trump. Well, now Trump's put three people, including the CEO of Goldman Sachs, in his cabinet. It was a joke. It was like, you know, he wasn't. Same thing with Jobs. He's just appointed as the Secretary of Labor, a guy that's in favor of robots and opposed to the minimum wage. You've been played. You have to say <laughs> have to say that to our friends and neighbors. They've been played. Part of developing non-political, emotionally intelligent responses that we can express to our friends and neighbors and family members who supported Trump is identifying the game, the con that Trump voters bought into and now are beginning to be embarrassed about. And some are going to be contrite. Some are going to deny that they ever supported Trump. Some will appear to be sympathetic and opposed to Hillary, but they won't admit that behind the curtain of the voting booth, they pulled the lever for Trump. Some will get angry and defensive and immediately make it political. You know that it's political when they go with, yeah, but Hillary, you see. And you say, well, Michael, you're talking politics here. You're, everything you've said is about politics. No, look, we can talk about current events and political activities from a non-political point of view. This is about psychology and sociology and the humanities and morality, decency and dignity. It's not political. I mean, I'm not going to ever suggest that we take a political position or that we ought to become Democrats or work to change the Democratic Party, that's fine. And you may be interested in doing that. But that's not what this is about. That's not what I want to do here. Just as we can talk about spirituality from a philosophical point of view and not get involved in religion, 
We can talk about current events and politics from a non-political point of view. And I have a second soundbite. It's about six minutes long. This is a woman, uh, an author, a comedy writer, an actress named Tess Rafferty. Right after the election, she did a video recording that went viral around the world called Aftermath 2016. You can find it on YouTube, Aftermath 2016 by Tess Rafferty. But this is a bit of a follow-up. I edited a couple of minutes out of her follow-up, her second video, which I guess we could title, So You Think You're a Good Person. And rather than sum it up, I'm just going to play it because I think this woman does a remarkable job of talking about politics, the social anxiety and stress of this divided nation that's been promoted and promulgated, particularly by Donald Trump and this extreme right-wing quasi-fascist agenda. And I was just really impressed when I heard this, and I thought, I want to play this on my webinar, because I think here again is a great example of what I'm talking about, a way to talk about our political and cultural situation from a non-political point of view. Listen to this. This is Tess Rafferty. So you voted for Trump, and you say you're a good person. Prove it. You obviously like reality shows. You voted like you think you're in one. Pretend you're a contestant on so you think you're not a racist. Your first challenge is to clean your side of the street. You want me to believe that white supremacists are taking over your party, but you're not one of them. Take your party back. You wouldn't let assholes crash your actual party and then let them stay just because they like cake, too. Denounce the white supremacists. You can start by not calling them alt-right. Putting alt in front of anything sounds like they're doing something cool and unconventional. These aren't people who believe in a flat tax and enjoy listening to the Smiths. There's nothing cool about painting swastikas on a playground, giving the Zig Heil salute, or saying Jews aren't people. And if you think there is, that makes you a white supremacist too. And we fought a world war to prove they weren't good people. But if you are one of those Trump voting good people, show us. Start a petition saying that you don't support the appointment of Steve Bannon as chief White House strategist. You don't support men who refer to any women as a bunch of dykes, which is what he said, because that is hate speech. You don't support someone who is also praised by the KKK and other white supremacist groups. Say that you're a Republican, but this is not what you're about. It shouldn't be that hard if it's not. While you're at it, at Trump's pick for Attorney General, Jeff Sessions named that petition. Many horrible things can be said about his record on race, but it can probably be best summed up by the fact that he was found too racist to be confirmed by the Senate for a federal judgeship by 1986 standards. You want to make America great again? Seems it was pretty great in 1986 when we didn't think people who were racist should be judges. Let your chosen reps know you're against a Muslim registry unless you think it's okay that we register Americans based on their religious beliefs. All religions, right? Or do you think it's just okay that we register non-white Americans based on their religious beliefs? That would make you racist and or xenophobic, and since you claim not to be either, come out against a Muslim registry. And you're not a misogynist. You just didn't like Hillary. It didn't matter that she was a woman. 
So I'm waiting for you to treat your president-elect's transgressions like you would treat Hillary's. What about the Trump Foundation's money being used to help Trump in his campaign? How about Trump making an official phone call to the president of Argentina and three days later having his long-delayed building permits for his construction project approved? Why aren't you in the streets demanding that he release his tax returns finally so we know what his conflicts of interest are? I mean, didn't you criticize Hillary for using her foundation to trade favors and misuse funds? Remember those speeches to Goldman Sachs you were so upset about because you thought Hillary was beholden to Wall Street? Trump wants Steve Mnuchin to be Treasury Secretary. He actually worked for Goldman Sachs for 17 years. In terms of conflict of interest, that's like hiring a pedophile to be the gymnastics coach. But I'm sure you're making your outrage at this known. Or is Hillary different? Just not different because she's a woman different. Also, if you have LGBTQ relatives, that doesn't automatically make you not a homophobe. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for bigots who enjoy the theater. You need to do some work here, too. Say you do not agree with Vice President-elect Mike Pence, who once signed a bill that would imprison gay couples who applied for a marriage license and tried to take funding away from HIV research and use it for gay conversion therapy. Ask the GOP to not roll back marriage equality, as they have said they want to, and protest the appointment of Supreme Court justices who will do just that. Tell them you support the Obama administration's anti-gay bullying campaign in schools and encourage them to continue it. Or are you okay with your LGBTQ relatives not having the same rights as you, undergoing shock therapy, and lacking safety at school? You love them. You just don't care if they get beat up, imprisoned, or electrocuted. But you want us to know that you're a good person, just not the type of good person who can be bothered to stand up for people you love. Maybe you voted for Trump not because you like him, but because you're a Republican and you vote straight down party lines. Then what are you doing to get the word out about reasonable GOP candidates? Reasonable being the ones who actually have experience and aren't white supremacists or sexual predators. It's a pretty low bar. It should be easy to find someone. And this should be a no-brainer, and I can't believe I have to say it. Would one of you have the courage to say Trump was wrong to mock a disabled man? This shouldn't be a political thing. This should be a human being thing. You would reprimand a child for this behavior, and yet you look the other way when an adult man did it. Or you participated in the excuses about why it was taken out of context. What is the context for making fun of the disabled? In your opinion, as a good person, that is. Say that all of the 1,000-plus hate crimes that have been committed since Trump was elected, that all the people who have said, we don't have to tolerate your kind now that Trump is president, tell us all that these people do not speak for you. You're probably wondering, do I really have to tell you that? The answer is yes, you do. Because you blew your last chance to tell us that these people didn't speak for you when you voted to elect Donald Trump to speak for you. Your side of the street is filthy. And whether you're lying down in the gutter with the trash or just stepping over it to get into your house doesn't change that fact. Right now, you're a bad neighbor. You're letting your trash flow into our yard while you refuse to do anything about it and telling us to just get over it. So be a good neighbor and prove to the rest of us you're not all the things we think you are. Prove you're a good person. Denounce these things to us. And most importantly, denounce them to each other. Because your lack of saying something, whether it was in your families, in public, or in your own party, is why we're here. All right, that's Tess Rafferty. And uh, that's just about six minutes of a nine-minute video that she did as a follow-up to her original 
from right after the election. I, I just think that's a very powerful way of speaking. Now, in the second half of the program, this is the part where I beg <laughs> this this is the part where I beg for participation from basically shy people who would rather sit back and uh listen to me or listen to other callers. And uh it's so rare that a listener, even if you're on the phone, is willing to participate that uh, I really have to beg. So if you're one of our callers this evening, and uh, or maybe you're in Australia and it's morning or afternoon, it's just a little afternoon in Eastern Australia right now, in any event, press star two on the touchpad of your telephone and that'll raise your hand. And then I can unmute you one at a time. I'll be nice to you, especially if you disagree. God, wouldn't it be great? If we got some Trump people, I can tell by the number of people that are canceling my newsletter that we're clearing away the dead wood, and Trump people do not want to hear any of this stuff, right? They'll argue politics, but they don't like this whole idea that we can, in a non-political way, have an intelligent discussion because they're not able to do that. If they could have an intelligent discussion, they wouldn't be a Trump voter. And so star two on the telephone touchpad will indicate on my console that you're interested in participating live. And uh, if you're using the web call VOIP system, there is a button on your console for doing that. If you're listening live on the web, you can use the text box at the bottom of the screen. I'm going to check that next. And, of course, the vast majority of people that hear this program are going to be listening on demand. So it's a day later, a week later, a month later as you listen to this. And yet we encourage you to sign up for the newsletter so you get the links every week and you can join us live because this is going to be much more vital, much more exciting. If we can get participation, then that means we need as many people to be here live as possible. I will say the event page that you may be listening to now becomes a replay page immediately after the event. Plus, we podcast this program a few days later out of the iTunes store, and it can be found on Stitcher and Player FM and most of the other major podcast directories on the Internet. So there are countless ways to listen after the fact on demand, but my appeal, if you don't mind, is to join us whenever you can live. That would be really great. While I'm thinking about it also, I want to remind you that one week from tonight is Christmas, Christmas Day evening, the 25th, and we will not be here. But two weeks from tonight, which will be New Year's Day, not New Year's Eve, but the evening of January 1st, I will do an event. And having said that, 
I need to tell you how to make sure you're getting the newsletter. The best way to get on the list is to go to my Gateway website at michaelbenner.com. Benner, if you don't know, is be like boy, E-N-N, like Nancy, E-R, michaelbenner.com. And you'll see teleseminar sign in. All I need is your first name, your best email address, and if you're in the USA, a zip code. If you're outside of the USA, just put a period in there and you can hit the submit button. If you don't put anything in the zip code, you won't be able to submit. It won't go through. So zip code if you're in the USA. If you're outside the USA, just put a period or a dash and uh, in the zip code area. Hit submit and you'll begin to get our newsletter with all the links and that'll help you know the phone number. And have you seen the list of phone numbers all over the world? That ought to help you too. If you're making a toll call, don't do that. Look at the list included in the email and most of my other notices of international numbers, local numbers. Find one in your area, wherever you happen to be in the world. All right? So you can avoid tolls that way. I'm checking the uh, text box for comments. And here in Los Angeles, uh, I've got a couple of messages from Gunnar. He's talking about the fact that in his experience, um, a lot of Trump voters, I'll read what he says here in his words, cannot stand being wrong and will never admit it. Just like Trump, even when wrong, they'll do everything possible to deny it and never say they were wrong. I'm sharing that with you. Thank you for that, Gunnar. I'm sharing that because the good news is part of being emotionally intelligent is not needing another person to admit that they're wrong. Now, this is very important. I may spend a minute with this. It is understandable that the vast majority of us believe that when we argue with a friend or with our spouse even about whatever it is, that we want to win the argument. We really think this demonstrates the way strong, unmanaged emotions make us really simple-minded. We really think that at some point we're going to win the argument by making the other person wrong. We want them to admit, oh, Michael, you're right. I get it. I'm a complete dummy. There is no validity to anything I'm saying. I'm wrong. I apologize. That's never happened in my life, and I'm pretty good at arguing. I've never, never in my life did somebody go, oh, you're brilliant, Michael. I'm a complete moron. You're right. I'm wrong. That doesn't happen. So why do we argue? What are we doing? Why do our unmanaged emotions run away with us, confuse us, and make us, as I said, even more simple-minded? Nobody ever had a great idea in the middle of an argument. You just, you never had a brilliant insight or epiphany when you were all hostile and angry and, and arguing. It's a total fight or flight response and your brain is basically turned off 
And anger is a defense mechanism. When we're angry, we yell to frighten the threat away. Yelling and anger is supposed to be scary. It's supposed to make the adversary turn and run. I mean, at least from an evolutionary point of view, that's what that's about. So we presume that what we want is to win an argument. We presume that the other person, whether it's your spouse or a neighbor or somebody you never did like, is going to have to say, yeah, I'm wrong. You're right. You win the argument. That's not going to happen. And it doesn't happen. It never does. I think that's what Gunnar is pointing out. So what can we do instead? Well, this is called a self-awareness and leadership webinar. So let me tell you about leadership. Leadership is many things, but in this context, it includes putting down your agenda and your need to be right, your need to win, long enough to listen to the person who disagrees with you. And do that with an understanding that differences are not opposites. Sometimes it's as simple as a difference being opposite, but most of the time it's more oblique. It's not that the person who disagrees with you is wrong. It's that they disagree with you, and maybe they have different information and quite often, they may only have part of the story. If you're convinced you're right, you may just see a bigger picture than they do. They've just got a little sliver. They're not wrong so much as they're incomplete. And yet, they don't know what you now know. They don't have these leadership skills. And they're not going to listen to you and acknowledge what you're saying. But you can do that. That's what leadership is, putting your agenda down long enough to actually listen to the other person and acknowledge that you understand how they feel. If you're inclined to take notes, this would be a good time to write down what I call the five magic words. And the five magic words are, I understand how you feel. This is so powerful, and yet, has anyone in your life ever, ever, ever said that to you? Has anyone ever said, you know, I don't agree with you. I have a very different take on this. Actually, I could say I think you're wrong, but listening to you, I'm hearing you say, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then you play it back briefly and concisely. I'm hearing you say, or it sounds to me like what you're saying is da-da-da-da. Am I getting that right? Is that it? Is that what you're saying? And then follow with the five magic words. Well, I get that. I, I, I can dig that. I understand how you feel. Now, what's scary about that, remember I mentioned most of the Sheriff's deputies I was training didn't, <laughs> didn't want anything to do with that. I won't say most. A big percentage of them wanted nothing to do with that. Because it feels like you're saying, and I agree with you, and I'm willing to comply. And that's not at all what you're saying. There's a similar technique in sales called feel, felt, found, where the salesperson does not 
attempt to overcome the customer's objection, but to acknowledge it and say to the objection, to the sales pitch, oh, yeah, well, um, I understand how you feel. In fact, I used to feel that same way myself. But here's what I found. Here's what I discovered. I know how you feel. I used to feel that same way. Here's what I found. See how powerful that is? Now, that's a sales version of it. It's even simpler when you're just in conversation with somebody who you're convinced is completely wrong. Listen to what they have to say. That's the hard part. Just shut up. Drop your agenda for a minute. Give up your need to be right and victorious. Listen. They'll be stunned. Your opponent, they'll be stunned if you actually listen. Play it back so they feel heard and understood and then say, I can understand how you'd feel that way. They'll think they won the argument. So you let them sit in that for a second. You let the emotions settle. And then you say, now, of course, I have a different point of view. Would you like to hear mine? You know, they may not. They <laughs> they may just want to wallow in the fact that they feel victorious. So what? Let them have it. Are you a leader or not? But you will have your opportunity to say, remember I listened to you and told you how I understood your feelings? Remember? And you really felt heard and understood, right? Well, I still disagree about that. This might be five minutes later or five hours later or five days later. Say, are you willing to listen to me long enough for me to tell you how I feel? And that completely changes the context. If you can do this, you're a real leader. If you've never thought about doing it, learn to do it. Write it down now. Make a couple of notes. I understand. It's about listening. It's about playing back what you've heard and then using the five magic words. You can pick up your agenda later. That's what leaders do. You acknowledge and provide to your opponent what they're really looking for. They don't want to win. They want to be heard and understood. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be accepted and loved. They want a big hug. All right? So... That's a little lesson for tonight in emotional intelligence. And there's so much more that I want to share with you in future weeks. I don't see any hands raised. And I sort of, <laughs> sort of suspected that would be the case. But I've still got, a, what, 10 minutes here? So if you have a comment or a question and you're on the telephone live and you're willing to have me pick up the phone, just star two one time, do it a second time, it'll turn you off. And uh, I'll come back and look at the panel in a minute. And let's see uh, who else has a text message. Actually, I have a message from Moscow. A fellow named Vaz or Vaz or Vas in Moscow is listening. He has a Gmail address. And uh, there's no comment here, just listening in surreptitiously. 
and uh, that's fine too. One of the cool things about the podcast that I've been doing for well nine years, I've got almost 400 episodes, is we get statistics on who's hitting the podcast. And to look at the geography of it, you know, it's probably the six to 10,000 people that I get weekly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, somewhere between six and 10,000, say 8,000 on average, that we have listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School podcast. It's probably far fewer than. I used to have listening to me on the radio in Los Angeles, but they're not just in LA, they're all over the world. And I can look at the map, the browser statistics, give me a map and I can see where in China and all through Asia and through the Middle East, United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and uh, all across Europe. And then Africa and South America is mostly dark. I had a hit from Brasilia the other day, but South America is mostly dark. Africa is mostly dark, but all across Europe, the Middle East and the Far East, and of course, down into Australia and Tasmania, New Zealand. It's amazing to think that, and these people aren't by and large with us live tonight, could be, because we've got telephone numbers all over the world, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to know that that's happening. Well, let me give you a little insight into where we're going to go with this in 2017. You know, emotional intelligence is a fascinating field. It's a new field. I just gave you a little bit of what is known in Emotional intelligence is relationship management. I like to call it leadership, but in the classic emotional intelligence book by Daniel Goleman, the groundbreaking, the initial book that started all of this in the early 90s, Goleman published his book, I think, in 95. There are four key components to emotional intelligence, relationship management being the fourth. So I've just got five minutes left here. And unless I get another text message or somebody interested in participating by phone, I'm going to use this five minutes to talk about these four areas of emotional intelligence. And then again, we'll not be here on Christmas Day next week, but two weeks from tonight, January 1st, is a Sunday night. We'll continue exploring non-political, emotionally intelligent responses to the madness of the current day. Talk about how we can express ourselves to our confused family members and friends in concise and elegant ways without getting bogged down in politics. Just don't go to defending Hillary or acting like a Democrat or framing your argument as if you got a show on MSNBC or Fox News. Talk about decency. Talk about civility. 
talk about morality and ethics. As Tess was saying in this audio we played tonight, why would you argue with a Trump voter about whether his insults of a handicapped person were taken out of context or not? You wouldn't explain it to a child that way. And if a child mocked a handicapped person, made fun of them, teased them, derided them, you would sit that child down and explain what's wrong. And it would not be political. And most of what's offensive about Donald Trump is not political. Some of it actually is very political. But much of it is not political. And that's what has people stressed and anxious and frightened is really the non-political stuff. The hatred, the anger, the animosity, the, the, the snarky, snide sarcasm, the hurt that it causes. So to learn to be emotionally intelligent, we need to learn about four areas. The first two are intrapersonal, and that's self-awareness. That means understanding yourself, especially understanding what your emotional feelings say about you. Even though somebody else stimulated your feelings, they're your feelings, they're your responses, they're intimate, they're personal, your emotional feelings are always about you. That's self-awareness. We're going to talk about that in 2017 a lot. What is self-awareness? What does it mean to know yourself? And why are most people afraid to know themselves, terrified to take responsibility. That doesn't mean blame yourself. It means the ability to choose a response. Why are we afraid of self-awareness? And the second part is self-management. How do you manage hurt and anxiety? How do you manage fear and stress? How do you manage heartache and confusion? How do you manage sadness and despair. We're going to talk about that. We have to. Because people say to me all the time, emotional intelligence, my God, Michael, the more emotional I am, the, the less intelligent I am. I've always learned I should never trust my feelings. Well, yeah, unmanaged feelings will make you do really stupid stuff, but you can manage them. And find the wisdom, the brilliance, the enlightenment in your emotional nature. And of course, we need to talk about the difference between love-based, so-called positive feelings, and fear-based, so-called negative feelings. Okay? Those are the first two parts self-awareness, and self-management, the intrapersonal skills of emotional intelligence. Then as we continue into the new year, we'll also talk about 
parts three and four, which are the interpersonal. And this is social awareness. Now, social awareness is basically empathy. It's those five magic words. I understand how you feel. And being able to empathize requires that you understand yourself. You cannot empathize or understand another person beyond your capacity to know yourself, right? So the order is important. First, the intrapersonal, then interpersonal. So social awareness is empathy. And then relationship management is part four, and that's what we're calling leadership. So the first and the fourth would be self-awareness and leadership. And that's what we call this webinar here. So again, we'll not be here a week from tonight because that's Christmas, but we will be here January 1st. Be sure you get the newsletter, register, enroll. Give me your email address and your first name at the website, michaelbenner.com. you see a button at the bottom. It says Teleseminar Sign Up, I think, or Teleseminar Registration, something like that. And do your best to be with us live. If you can't, the event page becomes a replay page right after we conclude and look for the podcast in the iTunes store or any of the major podcast directories, the mobile apps like Stitcher, and just search for my name, Michael Benner, or the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This self-awareness and leadership webinar is a service or a project of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, as is my private counseling and training, which I do for clients all over the world by telephone. Okay, now I see somebody's raised their hand, and uh, yet I'm out of time. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. We'll catch you next time. appreciate it. Better late than never. <laughs> so with that, let me thank you very much for being here again. Wish you a very Merry Christmas and happy, happy holiday season. My favorite part of this time of year is we can go out and say peace on earth, goodwill to all, and not be taken as being political. Imagine that. For a couple of weeks every year, you can say in a non-political, emotionally intelligent way, <laughs> peace on earth, goodwill to all. You see, that's not political, is it? And a happy new year, and we'll see you on January 1st. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. So long from Los Angeles. This is Michael Benner. Good night.